This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we make lightning protection easy. If your wind turbines are due for maintenance or repairs, install our Strike Tape Retrofit LPS upgrade at the same time. A Strike Tape installation is the quick, easy solution that provides a dramatic, long-lasting boost to the factory lightning protection system. Forward-thinking windsight owners install Strike Tape today to increase uptime tomorrow. Learn more in the show notes of today's podcast. Welcome back. I'm Alan Hall. I'm Dan Blewett, and this is the Uptime Podcast, where we talk about wind energy, engineering, lightning protection, and ways to keep your wind turbines running. All right, welcome back to the Uptime Podcast. This is episode 67. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. On today's episode, we're going to talk about some disinformation, maybe just a good meme, but we'll, we'll talk about the continued trend of uh, the internet, sometimes ruining everything. Um, we'll also chat about some, you know, a really scary incident with a wind turbine tech recently out of Iowa fell down the inside of a blade um, rescue effort and uh, was successful. It was mostly unharmed, but still an interesting thing with some interesting implications. We'll talk about some work GE is doing, their TA project, trying to get a little more aerodynamic efficiency out of their offshore blades, and a really interesting cast-in-place concrete tower concept. Um, so before I kick it to my co-host, Alan Hall, just remember, we've got Uptime Tech News is our new newsletter. You can sign up in the description uh, of this podcast below, whether you're on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. And that's just our monthly, uh, it's or not our monthly, that's our weekly update where we're going to send you the new podcast, some great uh, news from around the web, you know, new tech, all the stuff that we're keeping you up to date on. So if you enjoy the show, you'll definitely enjoy just getting our, our weekly uptime tech news update. So sign up for that in the show notes of this podcast. So Alan, how you doing, sir? Let's first, let's talk about some disinformation. So first, uh, on Facebook, this thing just started going around. It's like, ha ha, look at this wind turbine that melted in the Texas heat. And they showed one of those uh, photos, which are crazy photos of, uh, so it's not like this was a turbine damaged by a storm where basically all three blades were damaged and essentially just wilted. Um, <laughs> did you see, so what were your thoughts on, on A, this photo in general? It's a pretty dramatic photo of this whole wind turbine just wilted. It really. is. The early indications about the the photo were that it was a, a lightning strike. That's the, that was the first thing I saw. And then the heat, <laughs> the, the discussion about when it got so hot in Texas that the blades just melted. Yeah, just just wilted like <laughs> right, a flower. Yeah, yeah, so that was ha-ha funny. And then the latest was maybe his wind speeds. Uh, but I have, none of the other wind turbines in that area had that same fault. So it makes you kind of feel like lightning strike broke one of the blades and then it cascaded into vibration which broke other ones and everything Start <laughs> looks like it's all sagging <laughs> so it's, yeah. that's going to be an interesting repair don't you think like how mm -hmm. are you going to do that are you going to just kind of cut down the whole the whole structure and start over or what because working around big massive piece of broken blade still hanging from the hub is not easy uh and it's got to be a safety issue, I'm, I'm sure. But on the on the meme on the meme front, uh, isn't it interesting how fast that went around? 
Like I must have saw that 50 times in a day. <laughs> that same image or a discussion about it. It's like, bang! Everybody in the world, at least in the U.S., saw this thing almost instantaneously. It was crazy. Yeah, and that's what's so baffling about the internet is that this could become like an actual like like i said i, I looked up the facebook post i looked at a lot of the comments most of the comments were like ha 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 yeah yeah right it's, it was you know it was 500 degrees in texas ha 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 like most of the people understood that this was not a an actual melting yeah. but it just it's crazy the the misinformation can spread so far so fast um and just be weaponized if people want it to be, right? right? Just to push whichever agenda. Right. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, do you feel like the fact check almost gives it more... I feel like a lot of times you just need to keep this stuff out of the news cycle entirely. Yeah. Like, the fact that it was fact checked <laughs> got more people to hear the misinform, you know, the, the piece of misinformation itself. Yeah. And it it's just like I've been thinking about some of the you know to jump this into politics not in either on either side but just some people who have crazy theories you know about election results or whatever in the news cycle like if if it's one of these debunked theories why even post them back in the on the web right <laughs> like joe schmo has some insane thing he says but because it's posted on a bunch of major news outlets it continues to go out there and it continues to give this person credence it's like why even like let's just if if it's debunked and it's a nonsense opinion let's just not put it in the news cycle yeah. like just don't write about it and it'll well, go away well, right there's there's two uh, polar opposites that are happening right now in that space which is fascinating because I I think this wind turbine incident falls right in the middle of that the first is on on the oh I'll call the political left uh, on the political left right now in the United States. There's an effort via the YouTubes and the Twitters of the world to filter, right? And they're filtering certain things, particularly around COVID right now. And on the right, um, there's a lot of screaming about fake news, right? So you got one polar opposite, which is trying to filter the news. And you got the other side saying you're filtering the news. What happens in the middle of that? Because both ends are correct. To, to some level, there's some truth, obviously, in any sort of um, claim there's some truth to it, and then, then it kind of goes off to where it goes goes to. But the the fact that you could put out a, a, a such a picture and a little meme with it, that it would gain traction to the point that someone needed to fact check it, that it, it shows that there's such a distrust in media right now yeah. that no one mm -hmm. believes anything. Even the fact check is going to get poo-pooed, right? Oh, you know, it's just a big, big wind covering for themselves. I, I bet you I could find yeah. that comment on a Facebook post instantaneously, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it it's a weird political news environment politically, but it's having implications into the what I would term the scientific engineering community. Uh, particularly in medicines right now, but it's also rolling into other engineering things, green energy also, where it's creating this weird, no one trusts anybody because you can't uh, environment. And then this stuff pops up and you're going to see this. You're going to see that wind turbine for the next five years on posts. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And maybe you're right, Dan. Maybe, maybe the, whoever fact-checked it made the, made the initial mistake. Not to fact-check it would have been a better idea. Moving on, this crazy story from Iowa, this uh, wind turbine tech got stuck in a wind turbine blade 
And of course, these are getting bigger and bigger. Obviously, this is onshore, so they're not nearly as big as some of the offshore ones, but these are still really big blades. Um, but a, a worker for Mid-American, you know, was, was stuck in this blade and it was a, a, a pretty scary incident. He's okay. But what are your thoughts on this, well, Alan? You don't hear about this happening very often. You, you would think it would happen more often just because there's a big, massive hole where the blade is that you could stumble into. And it sounds like it stumbled, somebody just stumbled backwards into this thing. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and luckily, there, obviously, there's three people on site typically uh, that are working together just for this reason. If once somebody gets in trouble, you can ask somebody, call some help yeah. or, or pull them out. But they, they had to call emergency crews to help get this guy out of this wind turbine blade. And it happened at night, thank goodness, um, because well, obviously the wind tends to be a little bit slower at night and it's cooler at night. Uh, can, can you imagine doing yeah, this in the middle of the day? The heat factor. Oh, yeah. yeah. You could have mm -hmm. really been in trouble fast inside of a fiberglass structure in Iowa in the end of June where it can be 105 outside. And it was uh, recently in the Midwest. Yeah. So it would have been 120, 130. Yeah, you could have had more than just a physical uh, a broken bone or anything. You, you could have died in that situation just stuck in a little oven yeah, yeah you're overheated yeah, you could over definitely overheated so i'm sure they were very um thankful about that part of it now it, it, i don't know if this is part of the ongoing effort uh on the vesta side to swap out blades and do some repairs or doing some repairs in the blades it sounds like from the lightning protection side um it, it kind of smells like that that you know vesta's had that issue with mid-america uh, lightning protection and was was uh, going to make some retrofits from the sounds of it. So maybe they were making retrofits in the blade and stumbled. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me because it sounded like the retrofits that were being made were being made near the hub of the blade, not at the tips. Mm -hmm. So if they're working down the hub and they make a misstep and loss of footing and boom. <laughs> yeah. So we'll be more careful. Well, and yeah, and what I was wondering about, obviously, it's not like one of these slides in a, where it's just going to be a smooth, you know, the outside of the blade smooth, but the inside is certainly not Rough. smooth. And, God, you just wonder if you're, even if the blade was at an angle where it's not like a straight fall straight down, you know, you're just sliding down it, you just wonder how many seams and, and bolts and, you know, there, obviously there's lots of things inside the blade, like the down conductor. <laughs> yeah. You just wonder, you're sliding down the slide, potentially, and seeing little obstacles that you're going to hit at a high speed as you pick up speed. And that's, that's and they're sharp. could also kill you. It's just really scary. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Paul Guyp, uh, who's a guest on our show, who's an expert in, in a lot of the things in safety, and he studied that over the years. He was talking about one of these old ladder designs in towers. They, they kind of got the moniker of gut rippers which it was oh, no. in this this ladder instead of having the so they obviously every ladder has the the rungs right. and then it has two things on the outside right, right? so it makes that h mm -hmm. shaped but on these gut ripper ones which is the term you use for it is they have one column down the center and then the rungs extend out and there's nothing holding the edges of the of the rungs so if you were to fall down that tower and snag your body on one of these rungs because each of the edges are exposed bleh, you know that could really hurt you rip you open as you're falling sure. yeah i mean that that could be the reason you die and that's why those ladders i think have been phased out because they realize that there's some gruesome things happening so just it's really lucky this guy was okay didn't hit anything you know like 
because it, it could have gone a lot worse i'm sure oh yeah it could bleed out if you ever play around fiberglass long enough in epoxies you know how sharp that is, those corners and edges can be and getting cut being stuck bleeding it could be bad fast so i'm it, you know i, I you got to give a, a hand out uh some thanks out to the rescue crews because this is kind of in the middle of nowhere right it's not near a big city so you're, you're dealing with local fire departments and local ambulance crews and um safety people going out there and and, <laughs> and helping out so it's it's a local effort and you got to give them a hand because they were ready for it you know they were ready for it and they it seems like everybody came out okay which is good so moving on so the ge t-i-a-d-e turbine improvements for additional energy project um, you know, they're trying to develop, you know, just some add-ons, whether they're vortex generators or whatever, onto the tips of blades, uh, especially offshore, to just try to, you know, suck a little more power out of them. Um, Alan, to me, this it, this seems like, you know, vortex generators have been out for a long time. You know, we've got a couple articles about them on our website. You know, our, our friend Nicholas Galdern from Power Curve uh, was on the show talking about some of the, you know, the the well-known efficiency upgrades that they provide. Uh, why this press release now in 2021? This seems like they're announcing a thing that's, it almost feels like old news, but but is it? Well, that's a good question because a lot of the, the add-on aerodynamic changes they have listed are definitely things we've known about for a long time. And is it, is it a is it really the add-on feature like a vortex generator or is it more about where the vortex generator has been located on the blade and maybe the shape of the blade a little bit in combination with some other add-ons that they're you start putting pieces together and the right symmetry comes in and then you get this one percent two percent improvement which is what they're looking for uh it's odd because like you said it's really known things but i think realistically what they're what appears to be happening is they must have cfd aerodynamic analysis of all of these things and they must have probably some level of wind test tunnel testing done seems like ge and lm have the wherewithal to do some wind tunnel testing it there seems like there's a correlation to the real world that they're missing. So they're trying to connect CFD to one tunnel results to what actually happens on a turbine. There's must be a missing link in there somewhere because they're trying, they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're applying so many uh, different pieces aerodynamically. That's what you do if you're trying to box a problem. Right. One of the ways to sort of box a problem is to put a bunch of variables in and see where the extremities are of this problem set. And that's what this sounds like is like, oh, let's try a bunch of different things. Let's try to understand what we can do and what we can't do. And can, can we come back into a modeling environment and actually model it correctly and then and mm -hmm. know that's going to be an improvement? That's what it feels like. But it's weird that they're actually going to make 12 meter long sections of blade with different fittings on them and different aerodynamic fixes quote-unquote fixes to do that and how, how are you going to monitor that it's going to take you several weeks or months to get enough data to, to pull out the marginal improvement in performance because you can't necessarily measure one percent in 24 hours right you need to let the turbine run for a while That's true. So it's going to take months and months and months to do that and then when do you when do you call it quits like 
this isn't working or this is working. Like that's going to take them months of time to do that. It's, it's a very interesting, interesting concept. And, and hopefully they, they push out some data. GE obviously made a big press release about it because even I saw it. It was just, it was blasted everywhere. So they're looking for some PR on it. It's, it's an interesting thing you wouldn't expect to see at this point. Well, that was going to be my other question for you is, you know, we've talked about the secrecy in the wind industry and how companies want to keep a lot of this stuff to the vet, close to the vest. This almost feels like one that I wonder why they're putting this out as a press release. Like, what do they gain by doing this? Yeah. When it seems like so many little things like this, like that they're testing, they don't want to be out right. in public. You think this may be a, just a shift in overall they're just trying to just get more out there and just be more in the news cycle because of how much wind energy is going to take off in the future. That might be good for them long-term, well, right? That everyone's, yeah. Oh, GE is always doing research, you know, more, you know, it's another gold star mm -hmm. for when they're trying to, you know, win development contracts. I, I, don't I know. think the offshore wind environment and wind uh, economy in the United States is driving GE to do things because GE is seen to be the winner before it even starts uh, in terms of offshore wind in the U.S. And the way you give that impression is you're doing all these uh, things that seem green, right? And so even if you know the answer or a pretty good handle on the answer, putting out press releases, particularly in the United States, plays to the political aspect of this and getting states and localities to to welcome you in and, and GE being an American company, that's pretty easy to do already. Uh, but it doesn't hurt to keep pushing your credentials about how green of a company that you are, regardless of if it's, you know, a major financial impact press release or just an engineering press release, which is kind of what this is. It does add to that resume of, Hey, GE's a green company. Because if you if you said GE twenty years ago, green energy wouldn't have been in the, the top one hundred things that you would would relate them to. So I think GE as a company has to get over that hurdle of a lot of people in the Northeast think of GE as a big industrial company that made um, generators and locomotives and all kinds of refrigerators and all that kind of stuff. And now you're trying to refocus people into thinking about them as differently as a company. And that seems like what this, at least part in part, what this is about. Yeah. And of course, their stock has rebounded quite a bit from last summer. Last summer it was in the $6 range. And now it's in, uh, as of today, it's thirteen forty-two a share. Of course, they're actually doing a one to eight stock split. So if you own eight, eight shares of GE at thirteen forty-two, for example, you'll get one share at, you know, that would be like $104, something like that. So they're... Th reading about some of that Why? stuff recently they just said this is where we feel like i you know i don't exactly know the ins and outs of it i'm a, an amateur stock market uh i wouldn't even i don't know what i would recall call myself but you know i am have an awareness of some of the stocks i follow and some of the companies and some of the big ones in wind energy but it's a great question but they just said this is where we feel like our share price should be oh um, okay so obviously no one lose no one loses any value right. but it seems like they just want to they don't want to be a $13 company on paper. They'd rather be a $100 company, which I kind of understand. There's definitely a psychological effect there, yes, right? Yes, it is. Um, when Tesla sits you know, at your 400 stocks, or whatever it is, yeah, you feel you're at, you're at 13. You kind of don't feel it, right? Well, and, and you wonder if that attracts bigger investment money because, you know, when you think about it, so like Shopify is a good example. Their, their stock's like 1500 a share or something like that. 
Amazon stock is, you know, in the 2000s per share. And obviously they could divide it up and make it, you know, Apple split their stock last summer. Right. Went from, you know, $200 a share to $100 a share and made it more accessible to the Commonwealth, so to say. Mm. But, but yeah, I think you, you know, a person, if they had $1,500 to spend, they could buy one share of Shopify or a hundred shares of a $15 stock. And which do you feel better about as an amateur investor? You know, it's all the same. Ultimately yeah. it's this, ultimately it's the same amount yeah. of money. Yeah. You know, if, if it goes from 1500 to 1600, it's the same as it going from $15 a share to $16 a share. If you own a hundred of them, it makes no difference, but I think there's a psychological effect and it might attract, I don't know if bigger investors buy tend to buy more expensive stocks. It's a good question. I would think there's probably some psychological effect, but either way, it seems like GE just wanted their, they said, this is just where we feel like we, we want to be to oh. call in some shares and, and increase the price. That's going to happen pretty soon. That's fascinating. Um, I think they announced, <laughs> they announced the date. Um, but yeah, huh? so, but a lot of things are happening at GE, like with, uh, the CEO, Mr. Culp, you know, they've, they've cut a lot of debt and it seems like they're going in the right direction. Yeah. Um, his CEO pay is incredible <laughs> of course what ceo pay is in it yeah. these days but the ge does seem to be on the up and up so oh, you know good. maybe this is part of a new lease uh, like a new leaf for them with new, more press releases like you said just trying to be in the news cycle more that they're really actively trying to to be a world leader which of course every company yeah. is so Um, last on the docket today, and this is a really interesting um, piece of engineering, kind of goes, uh, I mean, not really hand in hand with uh, what Cobot's doing, but just the idea of how can you get wind turbines taller. Um, and this company, Esteco, uh, has built a telescopic concrete tower. This is, it was just finished in China, their first prototype, and it's in full operation now. And basically, this technology that they patented is kind of like these self-building cranes. So Al and I were talking off camera that, you know, in DC there's cranes everywhere. They're always building new construction. You see these things. And I remember one day recently I was looking and I'm like, how did that crane come to exist? <laughs> like in this, in this city. And apparently they build themselves. So they start off as like a 30 or 40 foot crane and they have these like lattice work sections and they pull up another, you know, maybe like 20 meter section and it, hoist it into place and then they bolt it in and then the crane crawls up it and then it hoists another section, you know, puts it into place, it crawls up it and then it just keeps going until it's assembled itself, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll put a link in the description so you can see that on YouTube. There's some really good uh, examples because people YouTube this question like I did. How do these things exist? Is there like a master crane somewhere, <laughs> you know, but um, but essentially uh, in this press release from Esteco, they said this, they're kind of following the same concept where they assemble a section, they um, go up and then cast the next concrete section above it and keep going up as the the sections get a little bit more narrow in a telescoping kind of way. Um, but this tower looks really impressive and they said it's, you know, it's, it's an, in operation in China. So, mm-hmm. Alan, do you feel like this is something that, I mean, it feels like this is... A, a why didn't this exist earlier kind of technology? It doesn't seem super high tech or super, was it just hiding in plain sight the whole well, time? I think it's uh, it's kind of like Cobot in a sense that 3D printing of concrete is, is a logical extension of 3D printing of plastics. But there's a lot of 
problems you have to solve in order to go make that happen. And I'm betting this is the same same thing. Obviously, getting the wind turbine higher up in the air gets it into cleaner air and more velocity air, typically. Uh, that's why the scale of wind turbines has grown so so massively over the last years, couple of years. Intercept more wind, create more power. Uh, get in the right wind space, make more power. The the question is, it becomes a, an economic issue of, do I make a taller steel tower? Do I need a bigger crane to assemble this thing? Which is what, what you would need, right? You need another crane to lift this thing up higher, and the, the cranes are already expensive the way that they are. Uh, versus making something that sort of a rector set builds itself, stackable concrete sections, or you're pouring concrete sections and lifting it, and then put another one in. That's a very fascinating way of doing it. Um, and you know, in these engineering type uh, events where you're breaking ground on, on on a construction technique, that takes a long time to penetrate. It just does, right? How, how long we have we known how to build houses out of concrete and haven't? Uh, but all of a sudden, now we're back at, at it again. I think Thomas Edison was building houses out of concrete back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. <laughs> and here we are in 2021, and now we're going at it again. Uh, it takes a long time to gain acceptance and figure out all the bugs and to get something that's a prototype-ish functional enough that you can then see what the revenue created is created by this thing. And if the revenue created by creating these concrete towers generates more electricity and costs less to to do than a steel steel tube then the industry will change and i think companies like cobot are sort of are kind of set up for that right i think you're going to see concrete concrete built uh wind turbine structures going to grow massively particularly in the united states because they figured it out so this is going to be you know when you see things in china happen uh, construction-wise, from an engineering standpoint, you go, okay, um, safety. Has all the safety things been a place to go do this? Could you do that same thing in the United States or in Europe? Or are there safety things that are happening during that construction that w- would not be tolerated by code? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, because you, you think the GEs and the Siemens, Camases of the world, and Vestas of the world will have seen this and go, oh, that's cool. Maybe we need to do that. Yeah. And so this uh, tower that they built, this turbine, is a 170-meter hub height. So, you know, 500, you know, 35 feet, something like that. I don't know if my meter um, at math is exactly accurate <laughs> to feet, but it's really tall, yep. obviously. and. It's not exactly clear. I wish they had a video of how this process worked. I scoured the internet to try to find it. Uh, couldn't find mm-hmm. it, but it says they, they cast them in place on the ground level. Just I just want to clarify my earlier statements. But then it says, by means of a climbing formwork. So I don't exactly know what that means. Because um, it sound yeah. I, but I'd love to see a video of this in, in, uh, in the future. Yeah. We'll see if they release something on the web, because it seems like a really interesting process. But... Then they're just arranged on you know one side uh, on top of the other. So yeah, I mean, and I, I'm curious if concrete is more expensive than steel, especially for that height. I'm not sure. Depends. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of rebar inside of it, and there's, there's a lot of technical challenges rather than just assembling pre-built 
chunks well, the, of uh, the steel, steel tower, right? The, but, the issue with steel is transportation, where it's not an issue with liquid concrete. Yeah, they're going to cast it. Right, yeah, so you place. can drive the truck mm-hmm. up there, which yeah, is nice. Right, pump it up, right? Yeah. Instead of trying to haul this big, massive steel structure up there. And this is just another. It seems like another step of you know, if uh, you 3D print the base, you know, which Cobot is yeah. doing, you then uh, cast on site the tower, mm-hmm. which this company is doing, and then potentially 3D print the blades, right? <laughs> which um, Orbital Composites wants to yeah. do in the in the near future. You know, you have the whole thing made on site locally by by local workers using local materials, yep. hopefully with, um, you know, shredded. And that's the other <laughs> thing here is concrete tower. You could have a lot of shredded wind turbine blades in that concrete mix, which is you pretty should. cool. That would be a great use for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, as we get to the offshore uh, explosion that's about to happen in the United States, I really wonder if some of that 3d technology is going to be implemented just because a lot of it's developed in, in the united states some of it is but if you're going to start fresh now with a new factory and a new would you do what we did in the 1980s or do you say we're going to take a new approach that's less uh, cost intensive uh to manufacture blades and make manufacture bases and the whole thing because you you kind of start fresh sheet all of a sudden particularly on offshore because there's not not mm-hmm. especially when we get to the floating there's not not a lot of history there so everything is up for grabs and that's when you tend to see those little technology leaps happen because clean sheet allows engineers to be creative and to do things that they wouldn't have done 10 years ago so it's gonna be quite a ride coming up Well, that's it for today's episode of the Uptime Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the show, share with a friend, and don't forget Uptime Tech News, our Thursday morning newsletter just with new updates on the show, new tech around the uh, wind industry is in the show notes, whether you're on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify. So you can click below, sign up for that, and get an update for us every time we we release a new episode. So thanks again for listening, and we will see you here next time on the Uptime Podcast. Operating a profitable wind farm is all about mitigating costs, minimizing risks, and being efficient with maintenance, repairs, and upgrades. It's incredibly expensive to send a team of rope access technicians up tower to make even simple repairs. We also know how costly lightning damage can be, requiring inspection, repairs, and downtime for even minor lightning strikes. Maximize the time efficiency of your techs and prevent future lightning damage by installing our Strike Tape LPS upgrade the next time your crews are going up on ropes. Learn more in today's show notes or visit us on the web at weatherguardwind.com.